love seeing the Lord's people in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. Man, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, or if this is your first time, my name's Ben France. I have the privilege of serving as our pastor over this location, our PGH West location. We've got another one that meets at 11 a.m. on Mount Washington. And uh, man, um, it's, a, it's a busy morning here at Venice because I'm preaching here. Pastor Jake, my, my older brother's preaching over uh, at the city. And Pastor Rob is, I don't know, woke up at an absurd hour of the morning, got on a plane and is preaching at one of our partner churches in Texas, I think. He woke up this morning in Pittsburgh, got on a plane, and is preaching at an 11 a.m. service in Texas. God bless him, but he chose to do it, so I don't feel bad. Anyways, hey, super glad that you're here. Um, I was talking to Ryan um, and Josh, two of our staff members this week, and we were talking about a, a TV show that just finished, Rings of Power. Anyone watch Lord of the Rings show? Anyone? It's okay. It's not the greatest. It's not the worst. Um, but this is like a common theme in, in my life, apparently, this Lord of the Rings thing. Because last night, Lauren, my wife, was like, what should we watch? And she put on Fellowship of the Ring. And uh, if you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, you're really missing out. Um, and I'll pray for you. But here's one of my favorite things about, about these movies. Um, it's the way, we, we can talk about the books later. The way that the films tell the whole story. It's one of my favorite things. And it's not uncommon in, in film or in television shows. And if this ruins some of the magic for you, I apologize. Um, but Lord of the Rings does a really, really good job of it. See, in the first movie, you have kind of all the main characters, all the heroes together, kind of working towards the same goal. And then the further you get into it, the more it kind of like breaks off into their own individual adventures, right? You have, you have like Sam and Frodo, kind of your, your two main people. And if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you'll appreciate that I said Sam and then Frodo, because Samwise Gamgee is the main character of this entire series. We could fight about it later. And then you have Merry and Pippin doing their thing. And then you have Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli doing their thing. And then you have all of the bad guys. Yeah, there's pictures of them behind me. Yeah, there's Sauron, the big bad guy. And what's so, so cool is it, depending on if you're on the good side or the bad side, you're doing kind of your own separate adventure, but you're all working towards or against the same goal. All of the good guys are trying to destroy the ring. All the bad guys are trying to rescue the ring, right? And I say all of that to help us kind of frame how we think about the scripture this morning. Because the book of Acts plays like that. If you've noticed, you've been tracking with us, you have all these different characters all these different groups of people on kind of separate adventures, what they'll call them. We know that these aren't fictional. These things really happen. These are real people and God moved in real ways. But we see these different groups of people in Acts on their separate adventure, but all working towards the same goal, which is growing the church. And then all the bad guys are obviously doing the opposite, right? And we're going to see that today. See, we're actually kind of where the text landed last week and where we're picking up this week. We're going to see three groups of people, right? We're going to see Peter and the apostles. Everyone put this one finger up. Peter and the apostles. We're going to see Herod. He's the bad guy. And then at the very, very end, we're going to bring it back to two names that we haven't talked about in a long time. That's Saul and Barnabas. Who remembers those guys? If you've been part of Vintage for a while and you've been tracking with us in the book of Acts, you'll remember months and months ago, or maybe you won't, because I even had to go back and say, when? I couldn't even find when we went over this. That's how long ago it was. But we did. Months ago, we learned how Saul was met by God on the road to Damascus, and he becomes a Christian, right? God gets a hold of his life. He goes from an enemy of the church to a builder of the church. And then Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, 
he takes him to meet some of the other apostles. And then as soon as kind of that happened, the story moved and it panned over to Peter. And for the past few weeks, couple of months, we've been tracking with Peter's story. So what we're actually going to do today and what we're going to see in the scripture is we're going to finish kind of Peter's story arc in the book of Acts. And at the very end, we're just going to read it. We're not even going to go over because Pastor Rob's going to pick up next week. We're going to see the story pan back over to Saul and Barnabas. You with me? We're going to see Peter and the apostles. We're going to see Herod's reaction to all that goes down. And the story's going to go back to Saul and Barnabas. And as much as I would love to jump straight into the text this morning and to finish up Peter's part of the book of Acts, we, we got to do a little recap. Because if you were here last week or you, or you listened to the message, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of on this like film track, so we're going to keep rolling with that. You good? Um, last week's message was like the episode before the season finale of your favorite show. Anyone watching anything good right now? Better than Rings of Power? You know how the end, the last episode of the season is always like the resolution, the big climax, kind of where like it happens. What happens the episode before that? All the buildup, big thing happens, and then it just ends, you know? And you're like, oh, I can't wait. Like it's, it sucks you in and you forget that there's another episode and you watch it and it stops. You're like, wait, I got to wait another week? Or if you're like on a streaming service, I got to wait 30 seconds for the next episode to come? That's the one that landed. Of all the jokes so far, that's the one. That's okay. I'll take what I can get. Anyways, that's what last week was like. And at the start of every episode, every season of finale, they always do like a little recap of the previous portions. So it sucks you back in and then you, they can pick up right where you left off. Pastor Rob ended like right in the middle of the action. Peter was just freed from prison and it's like, all right, message is over. And so I'm picking up the pieces. We're going to get that energy rolling in. So how are we going to do that? So I'm going to read it. There's no better way to explain God's word than by using the exact words that he wrote. So read it. Acts chapter 12. If you've got your Bibles, I'll give you a second to get there. Acts chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 6. We're going, to pre- we're going to read 6 through 15, and then we're going to preach through 16 to the end. You with me? All right, it says this. Peter's rescued. Acts 12, starting in verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, that's Peter, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the doors were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off his hands. And when the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Verse 9. And he went out and followed him. He didn't know what was being done. If, if he, he didn't know if what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. And when he had passed the first and the second guard, they came to an iron gate leading into the city. And check this part. It opened for them on its own accord. It opened by itself. Divine intervention from the Lord. And they went out and along one street. And immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Verse 12. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose, name was, whose other's name was Mark, where they were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. So 
Peter's just a couple of hours, really, away from execution, but God, stand, or, but God sends an angel and stands in the gap and frees him from his prison. And last week, Pastor Rob talked about the weight that becomes wonder. That was the title of last week's message, and we're going to continue with that theme. So as a way of reminder, the weight that we're talking about, it's those seasons in your life where you don't know what's going to happen next. You don't maybe totally understand what's happening right now. You're not sure how God is going to use it. It's when you want to move forward, but God says, no, not yet. And that wonder, the wonder that we're talking about comes when in those seasons, you sit still and you trust God and you begin to see how he's moving and working. Peter's wait that we're talking about was sitting in prison awaiting execution. No way out. Not really sure what's going to happen next. And the wonder came when Peter fell asleep. He said, okay, can't control it. Fell asleep and God started to move, right? So we're going to continue with that theme. And the title of this message is The Weight That Unleashes Witness. Say that again. It's the weight that unleashes witness. In the text this morning, we're going to see that Peter's now coming out of that moment of waiting. And we get to see two responses. We're going to see two responses in the text. The first one is Peter's. Peter's response to seeing the wonder that God did. And the second response is Herod. Herod's the guy that put Peter in prison. Herod, we're going to learn more about him. He's the guy that was planning on killing Peter the next morning. We're going to see his response to the wonders that God worked while Peter was in prison. You with me? You with me? Yes? Yeah? That's what I like to hear. All right, Acts 12, verse 16. We're going to jump in right now. But Peter continued knocking. So Peter's at Mary's house, right? And he's hammering on the door. And Rhoda, the servant girl, comes in and it's like, oh, Peter! Runs back into the house to tell everyone. So excited that she forgets to open the door, right? Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord brought him out of the prison. He said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. So remember, this is just moments after Peter escapes prison. He gets to Mary's house. This isn't Mary, Jesus' mom. This is Mary um, Barnabas, the guy that we talked about earlier. This is his aunt. It's all kind of in the family, right? And she's there and a bunch of believers, they're praying for Peter. And it says, when they opened, they saw him and they were amazed. It's pretty crazy, right? I don't, maybe, maybe you've had a moment like this. I've never had a moment where I'm like, Lord, will you please do this? And as soon as I open my eyes, it's like right there. But that's kind of what's happening right there. They're praying for Peter. They're praying for the increase of God's kingdom. And then all of a sudden, Peter's knocking on the door. So it's safe to say that they were amazed. Probably pretty loud exuberant, so to speak, over Peter's escape. And we know that because what does Peter have to do? He says, motioning to them with his hands to be silent. So the people open, Peter's like, I'm escaped from prison. I'm not really sure what just happened, but I'm free. And he's like looking over his shoulder, hoping that like trying to listen, maybe to see if he hears guards come running past him. And he's looking, he's knocking on the door. He's like, open the door. And Rhoda's like, ah, and he goes back. And he's like, why are you not opening this door? And then the apostles come and they freak out. And so Peter's like, shh, quiet. Could you imagine how Peter felt? Have you ever had that moment? Anyone have kids? 
Anyone have kids? It, you can guarantee that um, your little ones, in the moments where they're supposed to be quiet, will be like as loud as they possibly can be. Um, that's my kids. Anyone with me? All two of you? Fantastic. So the people inside, they open the door, and they're loud, and Peter's like, be quiet. I don't know what just happened, but I'm going to tell you. Don't miss this. this. This next sentence is the focus for the entire message. You with me? Got it? It says, he describes to them how the Lord had brought them out of prison. He what, church? What did he do? He described to them what the Lord. He described what the Lord had done. Peter's response to experiencing the wonder of God in his waiting was to witness. Peter gets to the house, and the first thing that he does is he tells them what God just did. I mean, I read this, I was studying it this, this past week, and I think when we read this, because we, we know Peter's reputation, right? We kind of have the whole picture of his life. And when I read this, I'm like, okay, well, gonna put myself in Peter's shoes. That's a good thing to do to kind of really like submerge yourself in the text. And I'm like, well, it's Peter. It's kind of his thing, right? His whole life was about building God's church, increasing the name of Jesus Christ. And I think it's really easy to read this account and say, yep, Peter telling others about the Lord, that's his thing, nothing special here. Check the box, move on. But the more I thought about Peter's response, the more I started thinking about, you know, waiting seasons in my life. Seasons where I wasn't sure what God was doing. Seasons where I was worried about the next thing that was in front of me, the next obstacle that life had. And, and I was thinking of times where, where the Lord really pulled through for me or for my family. And I was thinking about my response. Now, I was thinking about my response to the wonder in the waiting. So what I did, we, like I said, we're calling this message the weight that unleashes witness. So as I thought about Peter's story here, as I thought about my own life, times where I was waiting, I made a list of just four things that were unleashed, so to speak, as a result of my waiting. Just four things, just really quick. There's, this is not like going to blow your mind, but, but it's four things. But, but my guess, the reason I did this is my guess would be that if I took a, like a kind of a poll of the room here and said, what are some of your responses to seeing God working the way that he worked in Peter's life, in your life, chances are, maybe some different words, but probably going to look pretty similar to this. And man, maybe if you're in a season right now of waiting, maybe this is just going to help frame the way that you respond to the wonder that I believe God is going to work in your life. So I call it the waiting that unleashes blank. I hope this resonates with you the way it did with me. I have the waiting that unleashes thankfulness. The waiting that unleashes thankfulness. Man, when, when I see God moving in my life, when I'm praying for something, when I'm waiting on something, when I'm trusting and I see the Lord move, I'm thankful for it. You know, I make a note to say, God, God thank you for doing that. Thank you for moving. Thank you, thank you for, for working that in my life. Uh, that, that's amazing. You're good. The waiting that unleashes thankfulness. How about this? The waiting that unleashes relief. The waiting that unleashes relief. Oh, Lord, I don't, I don't know how this is going to happen. I'll tell you a story um, just really, really quickly of kind of where this came into my mind. When Lauren and I moved from Chicago back home to Pittsburgh, we had a um, pretty, pretty freaky financial situation because we 
um, did the one thing you're not supposed to do, which is like leave your house before it's closed on. Um, and we did. And because we're like, you know what? The, Lord, the Lord's in it. We're trusting him. We're going to have a whole week where me and Lauren and the kids, we're going to be able to stay with my family, my parents, and just have a week to kind of like decompress and kind of process that last season before we move into the next one. And kind of in that week, um, the entire deal of the house fell apart and it was chaos. So now I'm selling a house. I am buying a house. I am not living in the house, but I have another month's mortgage payment. I've got another month's utilities and all of my other expenses that are coming that, you know, but we could kind of also cut our income in half because Lauren was staying home with the kids and I was gonna be on a pastor's salary. God bless the France family. And so to make a long story short, we just kind of watched that bank account go lower and lower and lower and like, oh, well, mortgage is due next month and a couple of weeks and uh, that's not enough to pay for that. And anyways, we, it, was, it was stressful, super, super stressful. Fast forward to a few days, the Lord, and the only person I can attribute to it is the Lord, worked out all of the details. We got to close on time. We'd actually killed that deal with the last people because we didn't think they were going to get approved for their loan. It was, it was like that level of stress. Lord worked all of it out in like the 11th hour. And you know what I felt more than any other time in my entire life? <sighs> okay. I might die at 50 now, but we made it through. An overwhelming sense of relief. How about this? The weight that unleashes increased trust. Increased trust. When we see God work in our past, when we can look back and see what he did and how he pulled through and the way that he moved in our waiting, that increases our faith. It increases our trust. The next time we get into that waiting season, God, you were faithful here. God, you did what you needed to do and you worked it out here. And I'm trusting now in this situation that you're going to do it too. Increase trust. And the last one is this, a new perspective. Man, any season of my life, and I'm sure any season of your life that, that we would consider this waiting season, when we, are, when we are in it and now are coming out of it, similarly to Peter, we look at things a little bit differently. I looked at my home that's straight out of the 1970s sitcom differently when I closed on it than whenever I walked in toward it for the first time. Why? Because I had gone through something and the Lord had provided in that season. So my perspective was different. The waiting can unleash thankfulness. It can unleash relief. It can unleash an increased trust. It can unleash a new perspective. And let me ask you, are any of those responses wrong? Are any of those bad things? No. Those are wonderful things. And man, my hope for each and every one of you is in those seasons when you see God working, it doesn't matter if it's this big, like life-changing event or if it's something small, the everyday wonder that we see God in. My hope and my prayer is that you do experience these things. But I want to draw your attention to this. While they are great responses, they're all internal responses. They're all me-focused responses. I experienced this, and this is how it changed my head, my heart, my perspective. But church, I, there's a whole other side of the coin. See, when we see the wonder of God, 
we are given an incredible opportunity to take that experience and unleash our witness for Jesus Christ to those around us. Man, if we begin to train ourselves to think not only of how we've been impacted, but how that story, that God at work moment in our lives can impact others, and we go and we share that, man, that's when our witness for Christ becomes not just a thing that we do occasionally, but a lifestyle. I mean, I understand witnessing is not an easy thing to do. Going and telling someone about what Christ is doing in your life is not an easy thing to do. Man, half the time I get in these seasons, I experience it, and I forget that that's even a thing that I could do. But being a witness for Christ, man, it's just like training a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets, right? If you don't go to the gym for a year, for me, I'm working on a couple months now, um, it becomes out of the ordinary to work on your fitness. Anyone ever notice that like, when you go to the gym, you're like, oh, I feel good, I'm glad I did that. And like, the next day, you're like, I'm a little sore. But the day after that, you're like, I can't move. Why is it that it takes two days before the pain really comes? That's not in the notes. Let's keep going. Man, you don't go to the gym for a year. It becomes out of the ordinary to get back and work on your fitness. But when you start going consistently, as you get stronger, as you build some muscle and discipline, before you know it, it becomes out of the ordinary to skip a day. It becomes a lifestyle. It becomes part of your routine. It's something that you just do, right? It's the same thing with unleashing your witness for Jesus Christ. You gotta be super intentional about it at first. Man, I was in student ministry for a number of years and anytime uh, we would get to a place like this in the text, that's usually the time where it's like, on the seat in front of you, you have a sticker where it's gonna say, it says, I'm gonna witness. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Stick it on your Bible, whatever. I didn't do that this morning, but if that's what it takes, do it. Grab a note card. Grab a label and write on it. Um, who was it? Tammy. Where's Tammy? Tammy's here. I mean, she's been doing her, her Bible reading plan, and she did the most brilliant thing to remember to be in it. She changed the passwords on her computer to rem as a reminder to read. I'm not going to tell you what the password is. I can't even remember. But that's genius. It's the little things like that, the little things to say, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. And then over time, the more you do it, the stronger it becomes, and the more it becomes out of the ordinary to not do it. Man, witnessing any spiritual discipline, reading, prayer, it goes from something I forget that I have to do to something that I remember, but I really don't want to, all the way over time to something I've got to do it. My life, my day isn't the same if I'm not doing it, and it's the same thing with being a witness for Jesus Christ. And we see a great example of this in Peter's life right here. If you're taking notes, the first point is Peter is a witness. Sorry, forgot to, forgot to give you that. Peter is a witness. So do you think it's safe to assume that Peter was thankful? Of course. Do you think it's safe to assume like after, <laughs> you probably had a spike in anxiety when like Rhoda showed up and like she didn't open the door. She ran the opposite way. And then the disciples showed up or the apostles rather and started like screaming. Um, but finally, when he was like finally in the door and the door was closed and he doesn't hear any soldiers walking, do you think he had a sense of relief? Of course he did. But Peter's life was so focused on sharing Christ that his first response to seeing God move was to tell somebody. He went to Mary's house. He got in there. He said, Shh, let me tell you what just happened. 
And what's so great about Peter's response here is that it's not just a testament to how on mission for Christ he was. It also shows something happens, something else that happens rather when we witness. See, when we decide to open our mouths, to be bold, to share with somebody else what God is doing in our lives, it doesn't just benefit the person listening. It actually equips them as well. It's not just something that makes someone feel good and makes them think about what the Lord's doing in their life. No, it equips them to go witness too. If you're a note taker, Peter equipped others to witness. Peter was a witness himself, and with the same story that made him a witness, he equipped others to be a witness. Verse 16, but Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him, and they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought them out of the prison. And he said, check this, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Tell these things to James and to the brothers. I'm telling you what God did. Now go tell more people. Then he departed, and he went to another place. And by going to Mary's home, telling the apostles about what God had just done, he gave them the opportunity to be witnesses too. He says, tell these things to James and to the brothers. That James we're talking about is actually James, the brother of Jesus. And like I just said, why did Peter tell them to go tell more people? So they could go tell more people. Remember, the church is growing. This is the start. That type of thing is an encouragement. Could you imagine being the early church and Peter very much being the, now that Christ has been, been you know, resurrected and ascended, Peter is very much the face of this whole establishment. Christ is at the head, he's at the center, but the person boots on the ground that people are looking to, to lead them is Peter and he's in prison. And they're looking at Herod's track record and they're saying, huh, Passover ends tomorrow. I bet you that's when Peter's gonna get it. They're right. That's what was, Peter was on track to do. But could you imagine the encouragement to say that, hey, the Lord has freed Peter. Can you imagine how that story caught wildfire and how that increased faith, increased encouragement was a testament to God's power in the midst of a dire circumstance? Man, he says, God's on the move. And if James and the disciples knew that God had freed Peter, it would encourage them to spread the news about what God has done. And the church would experience even more strength and more growth. Guys, when God works in our lives, it doesn't just benefit us. You have the opportunity to impact, to bless, to change others. When God works in your life, it's not just for you. It's for someone else too. We see that example. That's what's happening right here in the text. Peter experiences an incredible God at work moment. He races off to tell his buddies so they can go tell more people. So so let me ask you this question. It's really a two-part question. First one's this. Who are you equipping? And who is equipping you? First one is who are you equipping? Who's the person, the, the people in your life? When God does something, you're like, I gotta go tell this person. Man, it could be another believer in your life and that's going to encourage them, to spur them on, to strengthen them. But man, what about an unbeliever in your life? When God does something, who's the person that you're going to and saying, man, they gotta know about this. They gotta know what God has done. The other thing is, who's telling you those things? Man, man, who's the person in your life that you know, like, man, uh, I've been knocking on the door of this person's house. How I want to. I'm really, really trying to impact this person for Jesus. It's just not happening. But who's that friend that can come alongside you and 
encourage you and be a witness to you of what God's doing in their life that can encourage you to keep going forward. Everyone's got to have someone. Christianity, it's not golf. It's more like football. Sometimes it feels like tag team UFC. That's not even a thing. Tag team WWE. There we go. All three wrestling fans are like, yes, that was my moment. Man, everyone's got to have someone, and it needs to start with the people in this room. Your local body. Man, I'll tell you this. I'll let you into a little secret. If you're having a hard time getting that community, you're having a hard time finding those people, listen, there's like not so many people in this room that you can't just go up and greet someone. I'll let you in on a little hint. Sunday morning isn't the best time to do it. Of the life of our church, of the things that are happening, Sunday morning is not the best time. You want to know what the best time is? Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights, 6.30 p.m. If you look on the tables to the left and to the right, we've got this little cute display to remind you that V Groups is at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday night. And guess what we do? We eat. We have a fun time together. Oh, yeah, look at that. It's behind me. We talk. We talk about our weeks, about what's going on. And then we get in the Word. We talk about the message. And we share with each other what God is doing Man, man, just this past week, we were, we were talking about last week's message, and man, Kevin, Kevin Bright, who's right there every week, love you, Kevin, he, he was telling my table at V Group about this awesome story about how years ago he was running past this neighborhood that he didn't know even existed, and how God has orchestrated it over years of time, and he's been praying about this place, and thinking about this place, and it's been on his heart, and he just moved into that place how many years later? A while, right? Nine? Nine years later, the Lord finally said, this is the time. And Kevin's met his neighbors, and I know Kevin, and I can safe to say that he's going to be a witness to those neighbors. And you want to know how I learned about that? Coming to V Group, putting myself in a place where Kevin could share that, and now I'm sharing it with you. That's how this goes. That's encouraged me all week. Because there's people that I've been praying for for a long time. So, well, Kevin prayed for it for nine years. I've been praying it for nine years. Maybe the nine-year mark is what i got to get to. I don't know. Man, when we share the wonder of God in our waiting seasons, it doesn't just witness to others, but it also equips them to witness to others. That's how we see God's kingdom begin to multiply. That's how we begin to see exponential growth When we share Christ with others, it equips them to share Christ with others, which equips others to share Christ with others, and so on and so forth. Man, in my church, I want to see you have those people. I want to see you be encouraged. I want you to to see you leave every Tuesday night with a whole backpack full of stories that you could share with other people, what's going on in the life of our church, how God is moving. Man, there's no registration for it. There's no something special you have to do. Just show up at 6.30. We'll feed you, we'll hang out, we'll encourage you, we'll equip you. Man, if we get a real good thing going here on Tuesdays, can't imagine, or I can't imagine, I'm not going to say it, but like we've got more plans of how we can go into neighborhoods and go into homes and meet with more concentrated groups of people. See you on Tuesday. So, back to the text. 
See, remember how I said earlier that Acts, it, it plays like a movie, right? You got these different groups of people and the camera's focused on one and then it goes to the next. Okay, we're gonna have that movement right now. We're focused on Peter and the apostles at Mary's house, right? And now the camera is gonna change. It's like classic 70s, like swipe transition. It's gonna pan over to the next group and that's Herod. So Herod, we're gonna, we're gonna see his response to the Peter situation, right? But before we read what happens, I really want us to understand who this Herod guy is. Because uh, if you're familiar with your Bible, you come across this name a lot. He's actually, um, there's five Herods in the Bible and they're all different. So I want us to be good scholars of the word and I want us to understand which one this guy is. So the one you're most familiar with probably, uh, the most famous Herod is Herod the Great. Herod the Great's Herod number one. This is the guy that we read about in Matthew that, that um, tries to stop Christ from coming by, by killing all of the, the infant Jewish boys, right? And, and then he's the, the Herod that tries to get the wise men to come back and report where Jesus is. That's Herod the Great. The second most famous Herod is Herod the Great's son, Herod Antipas, or Antipas. This is the Herod that killed John the Baptist. This is the Herod um, who Jesus stood on trial in front of before he was crucified. But the Herod we're talking about is Herod the Great's grandson, Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa was an enemy to the church just like his predecessors. He was an enemy. He was a persecutor. He's responsible for, for killing James, the brother of John. Remember, remember when Jesus called two of the disciples sons of thunder? It's like a really cool name to have. I really hope I get a nickname like that. Herod killed one of those guys. This is the Herod we're talking about. Not a kind person. Not a, not a supporter of the church. Actively attacking it. Let's see how he responds. Acts 12, verse 18. Now when the day came... There was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. So Herod's story picks up the morning after God frees Peter, and it says there's no little disturbance among the soldiers. There's chaos. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the next morning showing up and like being one of the soldiers or being one of the guards, and the guy who is literally like chained to your wrist and to your leg is just gone, and the door's wide open, and no one has any clue what happened? It's chaos, right? Chaos ensues, and our two major players, Herod and Peter, they're both affected by this amazing wonder that God works, but they respond with very different reactions. One of the reactions is blessed, and we're going to see that at the very end, and the other reaction is punished. Let's see it, verse 19. And when Herod searched for him and didn't find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And when he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon when they came to him with one accord and having persuaded Blastus, king, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So what's going, uh, what we're going to do here is we're going to walk through Herod's reaction to the wonder. And as we walk through, I want you to keep Peter's reaction in your mind. Right? What did he do? He went and told somebody. He said, look what God did. I got to tell you. Hold that, hold that right here. Because I want you to be able to see the contrast between Peter and Herod. Peter sees the wonder and it unleashes witness. Herod sees the wonder and makes two very large mistakes. 
The first one's this. Herod's first mistake, suppressing the witness. He suppresses the witness. See, under Roman rule, if you were a prison guard, if you were in charge of watching a prisoner and that prisoner got away, if they escaped under, under your supervision, you, the prison guard, would have to pay the penalty that that prisoner was supposed to pay. If there's a big hefty fine, you'd have to pay the fine. If there was like a beating, you would be the one getting beat. In this case, Peter was hours away from being put to death. So what does Herod do? Gets all the guys together and he kills them all. Peter bears witness to God's power, but Herod suppresses it. Peter says, look, look what God's done. He, he's freed me. Go tell everyone about the, what the Lord has done. And Herod says, no, Peter escaped because my guards didn't do their job. Look, they just didn't do their job. They're, they're paying the penalty for it. They're paying the punishment. Nothing to see here. It's their fault. Do you think the guards had any chance of stopping God freeing Peter? Do you think it was their fault? Absolutely not. But by Herod pointing the finger and saying, listen, it's these guys' fault. They didn't do it. They know the punishment. They're going to get it. He treats it like any other prison escape and ignores the fact that God's power was on display. What do you think went through his mind? Could you imagine? His second mistake is building his own kingdom. So imagine being Herod, coming from a long line of rulers. They've, there's five of his family members, or four including him, mentioned in the Bible. Do you think his reputation was a little, a little tainted? I think people didn't really see him as the strong leader that he was the day before. Right, you had, you had what you made, public enemy number one, chained to like 10 of your guys, and he still got away. A little bit of a reputation ruiner. I think his ego was a little bruised. Absolutely. So what's he do? It says he leaves Judea, and he goes to Caesarea. And that detail's important, because in that day, Caesarea was like the hub of the Roman government. Ego bruised, screwed my job up, didn't do it the way that I was supposed to. Uh, what should I go do to help repair that? I'm just going to go kind of file back with all the people that look and talk and act just like me. I'm just going to hang out there for a little bit, live the high life. Those Judeans, they can kind of figure it out. Once the dust kind of settles and they kind of forget that blunder, maybe I'll go back, right? No better way to repair an ego and to think that you're still in the right by going with the people that think and act just like you. So when he gets to Caesarea, we, we see this really interesting little thing about Tyre and Sidon, or Sidon, depending on how you want to, um, to pronounce it. But the text mentions like a little tiff that arises while he's there. And it's between these two cities, um, Tyre and Sidon. And it's really important. So to understand, you've got to get a little history lesson. These two cities are super reliant on the region that Herod governed for food and for commerce. Judea was like a place where a lot, of, a lot of the shipping of food and a lot of shipping of commerce would kind of happen. So Herod can control it. And something happened that we don't know about. It's not, it's not mentioned in the text. Maybe you can do a history Google and figure it out where, where Herod gets frustrated with these two cities. He's really upset at them. So they're thinking, huh, the guy who literally controls how much food and how much business comes to our cities is upset. we got to figure this out. So they send a couple of representatives to Herod in Caesarea 
to try to smooth things over. And what we see is successful, right? They want to keep the money. They want to keep the food rolling in. These two cities, they, they sent a representative. And once an agreement between Herod and these two cities was reached, he, he decides to seize the opportunity to maybe puff himself up a little bit, to, to beef up that reputation again, to maybe repair that ego. So what's he do? We see it in verse 21. It says, on the appointed day, Herod put on his own, or put on his royal robes, took a seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. It's like a speech. And verse 22 says, when the pe- and the people were shouting, the voice of a God, not of a man. So Herod has a couple of people come, butter him up, make him feel good about himself, kind of repair that relationship, and Herod seizes the opportunity and puts on his royal robes, right? Not just like his day-to-day stuff, his real nice ones, like Sunday best. He sits on his throne, and he gives this big speech, right, about how I can only imagine. And the people react as if they had just heard God himself speak. So Herod has an opportunity to give credit where credit is due, to talk about the Lord. He's had opportunity this whole time to talk about how God has moved in Peter's life, probably how God worked in this situation. But no, the whole point, I don't have the speech in front of me, and we don't have record of it, but the whole point is that Herod received that. The voice of God, and Herod's like, yes, that's me. It's the antithesis of Peter's response. Herod suppresses God's work in Judea, then he goes to Caesarea and tries to increase his own kingdom. Peter was a witness for Christ. He uses his experience to build God's kingdom, but Herod uses the situation to suppress it and then goes and tries to build his own in that those reactions could not be any more different. And the outcomes could not be any more different. Verse 23, you ready? It's a little gross. So Herod gives this speech and says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Excuse me? Herod's in front of the people. It's not like later in the day. He's on the throne giving this speech. People are praising him like he's God. And instead of giving God the glory, he receives it and done. Struck down. It says he was eaten by worms. And I don't know if that means that like all of a sudden, like one giant one came out of the ground. I don't know if that means, like I don't know how that went down. A lot of scholars who are a lot smarter than me believe that he had like an intestinal disease. Like he had parasites and was literally eaten from the inside. That's disgusting. But that's what happened. If you ever wondered what might happen if you don't give God glory, struck dead and eaten by worms is not off the table. Be careful. It says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he didn't give God the glory. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Verse 24, but, everyone say but. <laughs> the word of the Lord increased and multiplied. Do you see it? Do you see the two reactions? Do you see God's response? Do you see the outcomes? Peter is freed. God works in his life. He goes and tells people, and the word of God is increased and multiplied. 
the guy that tried to stop all that was struck dead. When God wants his church to grow, when God wants to move, when God wants to do what he wants to do, there isn't anything that's going to stop it. You have the opportunity to be part of that, to partake in that, to be blessed by that, or you have the opportunity for God to move you out of the way so that he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish. In church, my prayer is that we would be the first one, that we would be the catalyst, that we would be the people when God is working, when we see God moving, that we would be the ones throwing more fuel on that fire and saying, grow, continue, God build, not the people that try to stifle it, that try to hide it, and then eventually get removed. And God uses Peter's witness to increase and multiply the word of God. Church, my challenge for us today is, is to be like Peter. See, when we experience the wonder in the waiting, it should unleash a witness. And, and the effect that God's work has on us needs to overflow and pour out into our lives where others can see it. And next week, we're going to look, if you look at the very end of the text, you see the camera kind of pan over back to Saul and Barnabas. And we see, um, next week rather, Pastor, Pastor Rob's going to come and he's going, to, and he's going to continue kind of pick up right there. It's really cool. It picks up like immediately where we left off. I love it. I love how it's written. But church, we should experience the wonder and it should unleash the witness. Let that work overflow and impact to others. Don't keep it into ourselves. So, hey, how, how I want to close this this morning is, man, if, you are, um, if you're one of the people who's going to come serve communion, you can, you can head up right now. I know, Ryan, Ryan, but we got two back there. That's fine. Thank you, Kovals. Thank you, Stevens. Man, if you've been tracking with us in the book of Acts each week that we've been in, we, we've taken communion. And we do this to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross to pay for our sin, right? The bread represents the body that was broken for us. The blood represents the, or the, the juice rather, or the wine is, represents the blood that Christ spilled on our behalf that blots out our sins, right? And as we take it here in a moment, I want this to be an opportunity to remember the wonder of Christ's atoning work. Man, maybe you've been sitting here, you've been hearing, man, I, Ben, I, I just haven't experienced that. I'm, I'm in a season now. It's my first big one, or, I, or I, I can't really think of a time where I can look back and see a moment where God has really worked in my life like you're talking here. Well, man, let, let me tell you this. He has. Jesus Christ went to the cross to die and pay for you, for your sin. It doesn't get more wonderful than that. And when you take the bread and you take the juice, that's our way of remembering that. If you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, do it today. Come find me after the service. We'll get that straight away. But for all of us that have, this is for you. So typically what we do here is we, we go on either side, we rip off the bread, you dip the juice. Pastor Rob has had someone before walk up and actually drink from the juice. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna dip. But usually, right after that, we eat it, and then we go, and then I close. I want us to I finish just a few minutes early, because I want to give us a couple of minutes. I want you to take the bread, and dip it in the juice, and just go back to your seat. And just take one, two minutes, go to the Lord in prayer, and just remember. Just reflect on what he did. Let that wonder of the cross 
really sink in and ask God, Lord, would, would you impact me again like the first time I experienced this? Lord, would, would you fill me with your spirit to go tell others about what you have done? Let, let it sink in. And my prayer for us is that by sinking in, it overflows into our lives. You with me? So let's not do the thing where we're waiting on one person to get up and then we all go up. Let's just, let's stand together. We got two on the side. Take a moment to pray and then I'm gonna close us.